Well, we're jumping back into our Luke sermon series. And as we do, you're going to hear another parable from Jesus that touches on a subject. You ready? That he chose to address more than any other subject. Money. Why would he do that? You know, we live in a day where you're like, oh, don't talk about money. Don't talk about money. Jesus talked about it a lot. Let me help you. Here's why. Because Jesus knew that in this world, right now, this world that we live in, it requires us to traffic constantly in a means of exchange called money. Like it or not, we all live and move and breathe and make big and little decisions every day with money stay with me, that will affect your life now. Oh, but there's more. And impact your life and others forever in the next. You realize that? The decisions you're making right now in this world about money will affect you and others forever in the next. That's why 16 of his 38 parables, you realize he only told 38 parables, 16 of them had to do with money, almost half. And so stay with me. That means if you're paying attention at all, how many times have I tried to tell you what a parable is about? Please encourage me and act like you know. When does he tell a parable? He only stops and tells a parable when he wants to shock us and shake us out of our conventional human ways of thinking about something. And so this tells you something. Jesus, as he watches us, Jesus, as he sees our heart, Jesus, as he sees how we handle this thing called money, must think that we misunderstand it and mishandle it more than anything else in this world. It means that when when he considers money, he looks at us and he must say, oh my goodness, more than anything else, we are so slow to let go of what we think we should do with it, of where we think we should invest it, of how much of it we think we should hold on to and use for ourselves, money. And this parable today is one of the most misunderstood. This is one of the most difficult parables that have confused people, and here's why. You're gonna see him point to someone bad doing something unethical that is really appreciated by a bunch of other people that shouldn't be doing it with him. And then he says, I wish you would be more like this man. You're like, what? Now, let me help you right up front. Parables are always teaching one truth. Don't ever try to apply and make application of all the other. He's not teaching be dishonest. He's not teaching be unethical. He's not teaching be sneaky and stick it to the man. This guy sticks it to his boss. He's not teaching any of that. So this is not your parable if you're living that way or would like to. He's teaching one thing. Let's find out what it is. Go to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. He also said to his disciples, look at me now. We're halfway through Luke, and there, I mean, crowds are thronging around Jesus. So he's never speaking to a small crowd anymore. But we have places where the gospel writers make it clear. There are times Jesus chooses to speak to his followers specifically in front of a big crowd. And you'll see at the end of this passage, there's other people sitting there. But he is directing this message to his 
disciples, those who already know him, those who've already said, you are the Messiah. You're the one we were waiting for. You're our answer. You are our hope. You are the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. That's who he's specifically bringing this parable to, his disciples. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master's taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. Here's what you need to understand culturally. When a wealthy person had a steward or a manager taking care of his business, you lived on the land. This man is not just losing his job. He's losing his house. He's losing everything. He has no place to go. And it is a shame and honor culture. So he's about to do something that he hopes will take care of him in the future as he makes friends. That's the point of the parable. And we're going to apply it spiritually here in a minute. I am, when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. I'm not going to have a home. I'm not going to ha- have anywhere to go. Verse 5. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, hey, how much do you owe the master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. Now look at me. When the master figures out what's going on, what do you think he's going to do? Well, it's surprising what he does. Look at verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager. Now, he doesn't commend him for being dishonest. He commended the dishonest manager for his, what? Say it. Say it louder. Shrewdness. We're going to talk about it later, what that means. It's not a word we use much, so it's not sneaky. It's not deceitful. It's not underhanded. That's not what shrewd means. Shrewd actually means to be aware, insightful, resourceful, and able to make sound judgments about what matters most. He commended him for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world, he's talking about unbelievers, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Sons of light are believers, Christians, followers of Christ, The light has been turned on for you. You see more than right here, right now. You have a spiritual understanding. God's word is alive to you. You have direct access to his throne. Sons of light. And I tell you, he's speaking to his disciples. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into, what's the word? What kind of dwellings? Eternal dwellings. This unjust steward made plans to take care of himself so that he would have a future home here on earth and a place to go and people that would welcome him in. And Jesus is saying, my people should live in such a way that they use this, this, this means of, of unrighteousness we call money, use it in a way that you have a future home, an eternal home, where friends will welcome you in. We'll talk about what that, what that means. Because 
Jesus talks about money a lot, but this is the, this is the first place that you're going to see. He connects money with people. Money with people and eternity. This parable brings together money, people, and eternity. And we're going to talk some more what's, what the big deal is. Look at verse 10. Now he's going to unpack some application from this. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now he's going to tell you who else is sitting there listening to this. The Pharisees who were lovers of Money. Now, we only know that because he chooses to tell it. That's not what they're known for. They're actually known for Bible. They wore little leather straps on their head with a box on the front of all the scripture they'd memorized. They had leather straps on their arm with a box for all the scripture they'd memorized. They were actually looked up to in the culture as the most godly, spiritual, religious people. But Jesus took them to task constantly. Read your gospels constantly because they were all about outward appearance. And not what matters most. So he's telling you something about them. We learn in other places in the Gospels, they loved special titles. They loved being greeted in the marketplace. They loved praying long prayers and impressing people. They loved special seats at events. They loved themselves. And now we learn they loved money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. In other words, you live for the approval of people, and they actually do approve of you and look up to you. But God. I'm always interested in the Bible wherever I see a but God. But God. But God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Since this is one of the most misunderstood parables, I actually want to give you the main point and the punch of the parable right up front. And then we'll unpack it some more. Main point and punch of the parable right up front. You ready? Here it is. Make financial decisions now in this life that will secure for you a future home outside of this world. Oh, but there's more where people, incredibly grateful people, will call you friend and welcome you in. Make financial decisions now in this world that will secure for you a future home outside of this world, not right here, right now. Oh, but there's more. Where in that home, as you arrive, incredibly grateful people that you might have never met before in this life, you've never even met them, but they consider you a friend. And will welcome you in. Now let me also clarify what's not being taught. This is a parable being taught to who? Unbelievers or believers? So this is not how to get saved. Don't make a mistake. That if you give money away and you invest in kingdom things, you'll earn your way into heaven. Nowhere does the Bible teach you earn your way into heaven. But he does teach us after you know him. How do you you get saved? By grace alone, through faith alone. 
In who? Christ alone plus what? That's the only way you get saved. You don't buy your way in. You don't do good works. You don't, you don't, you don't. You put your faith in Jesus. But after you put your faith in Jesus, he wants to teach his followers things that are not automatic. You realize right use of your money is not automatic. Have you figured that out? Can you know Jesus and still be stupid with your money? Can you know Jesus and still live just like the rest of the world with their money? It's possible because you still have this flesh that says, mine, my precious, mine, mine, mine. He knows, I'm going to have to help you. Because, oh, man, when I look at you more than anything else, I see you don't understand how to think and what to do with your money. So he's talking to believers now saying, oh, my goodness. He actually points to someone bad doing something unethical that's appreciated by others who are doing it with him that should not and says, I wish you'd be more like this man. In fact, he's saying, look and learn from this man because this unethical unbeliever is actually more committed to doing something in this world that I wish my followers were doing. In other words, he thought to himself, how will I provide for myself a home when I have no home? Now, he was still focused right here. And how will I make friends who will feel like I should take care of this man? Then he goes spiritual and he's saying to his, his people, you ought to be thinking about your next home in eternity. Don't just live for this one. And you need to be aware of, it's possible to use money in a way that you will make friends. You will have friends that you didn't even know you had who will say, I'm a life that was saved because of how you gave. I'm a life that was saved because you gave. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Make financial decisions today. So what's the parable talking about? Oh, he's talking about living right now with your money, ready? As if right now is not what matters most, because it's not. He's talking about using your money now in light of what's coming next. Money now in light of what's coming next. Now, some of you do like to use your money now, and you're disciplined enough but your next isn't far enough out. You're like, yeah, I'm living now in light of next because the next thing is a bigger home. So I'm, I'm doing what I can to get that. Or I'm living now in light of next. And next is I want to leave my kids this legacy of this money. Now, don't hear me saying it's wrong to leave your kids money. I'm telling you what, I wouldn't do much of it, though, honestly. You have no control over what happens with it next. Nowhere in the Bible says, oh, everything should be about a legacy for your kids so that they'll never have to work. Let me tell you how that goes. Yeah. I'm trying to give away so much that they will all have to keep working, all five of them. <laughs> Don't quit your day job when mom and dad die because they've sent so much of it on ahead, your life won't change that much. A little bump in the road, maybe dinner out with what they leave you. <laughs> Celebrate us, tell some stories, and then keep working your job. I'm not trying to see how they won't ever have to work again. Cars for everybody, watches, boats. They usually just go crazy and live a very sad life, right? He's saying live now in light of what's coming next. And that next is outside of the, do you realize the Bible does actually teach there's rewards? There's level of, levels of reward. And yes, some of you, because you're saved and you put your faith in Jesus, will have Jesus welcoming you home. You will not be kept out because you didn't use your money right. But Jesus and Jesus alone will be welcoming you. Now that is great, 
but wouldn't it be amazing to see the faces of people that you've never even met saying to you, I'm a life that was saved because you gave. Let me, let me just tee it up. When I get to the end, I'm gonna try to unpack it some more. But what I'm talking about, if you're still confused, I don't understand what you're saying, is when you give to gospel enterprises who are working, then you're a part of whatever they do and it's about people. And so for 30 years now, the Kolaches have been in Papua New Guinea. They have to take a little boat out to an island off of Papua New Guinea. They found an unreached people group named the Tommy people. They went there 30 years ago to live with them in the humidity, no electricity, a hut up on stilts with rats chewing through their computers and they constantly have to get more with storms that threaten their very life for 30 years to translate the Bible into the Tommy people's language. And they had to just listen to what they're saying. Can you imagine that? And then try to write it down and create an alphabet. They created an alphabet. And then write down the Bible and then teach the people to read because they don't read. 30 years. And now they have the New Testament completed and they're proof checking it. It takes three to five years to proof check it. So Kim, that's the guy, is sitting there with no shirt on. It's so blasted hot. He's been hunched over a computer, get this, so long now that he has neck issues. When they were home stateside, he's got significant neck issues where he had to wear this brace. And so many hours a day he has to sit like this from hunching over a computer working on the Bible for the Tommy people. But guess what? You don't have to go there to that island if you give money to Grace a portion of that money, a big portion. This year, $560,000 of our regular budget when you give money to this church goes outside the walls of this church. And that's part of it. We give large amounts of money to our missionaries so they don't have to drive all over God's green earth to 700 churches who all give $25. We give significant amounts so they'll have a few churches. But here's what I mean. When you arrive, when I arrive, there will be Tommy people I've never met. Now, I actually hope to meet some. I intend to go there when the Bible is completed and dance with them, because I do like to dance. And let's dance for something. I intend, if I have the health, I'm taking the little boat out there through the storm. My wife has given me permission. She's a little scared. But I'm going to that island to hop with these people when they are presented with a completed New Testament in the Tommy language. You guys already They got the same problems we do. Men were abusing alcohol. Men were mean. Men were violent. Men were abusing their wives. And lives have already been changed just by the gospel of John. And by Bible study. There are lives that have been changed. And can you imagine an entire tribe saying to you, welcome, friend, come in. I'm a life that was saved. We've got a team of ladies, you guys, called City at the Well. I hope you realize we're not just sitting here hoping people will come to church and hear the gospel. That is good. We preach it when they come. We're supposed to go. So when you give money, we got things like a group of women going to the back doors of dance clubs and adult entertainment places in Cincinnati and Covington. That's not easy. Hovering, trying to get in. Managers keep kicking them out because managers don't want them to befriend the ladies. They want them to stay stuck But they take home-cooked meals to the ladies and personal hygiene kits and gifts. And at first, the ladies are very skeptical because no one's ever truly given them anything that didn't expect something back. But over time, they start to realize, I think you actually love me and care about me and my daughter. Some of these women have children, and they're, they're still a normal mom. They're a dancing mom, but they're a mom. 
and they care about their kids and they're helping them with their kids. They're doing a Bible study and they're helping rescue women from this terrible enslaving industry as they're trapped. Many of them are addicted to drugs. They hover on the streets hoping to have a con- They learn their names and call them by name. Guess what? If you put your money into this ministry, there may be women one day that you've never met that say to you, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I am a life that was saved. We got people going to UC campus, going into the public high schools with Young Life, going, going, going into the jails, Northern Kentucky Jail Ministry. I can't tell you how many people have written me a letter and said, oh my God, my life has been changed. The little book cart came by outside my jail and there was gospel treason on it. And I took it and I read it and my life has been changed. One day I met a guy in our resource center that had 10 of them that had recently been released. He said, this changed my life. It's in the prison. We've got people going in and sharing the gospel and befriending and loving people in the jail ministry at UC, at NKU, in public high schools, at the back of... Maybe you don't know this, but this is not the only thing we have going on. You get to be a part of more. But now here's what you might not understand. Some of you live as if you don't understand this. It takes money. I'm unashamed to tell you that. It takes money. Like, like if you're sitting at one of our other campuses, the abandoned Kroger didn't say, oh, you're doing gospel ministry here, free, take the building. We couldn't find anyone that wanted it. No, we paid money and we spent a couple million dollars making it look, not look like a produce section. Aren't you glad for the foyer and places to counsel and places to do a Bible study and place, a cool place for teens to play games and then hear the gospel? It all takes money. Right here, we have over 100 counseling cases going at any time. It takes money. It takes money to buy the curriculum for 200 kids behind the wall. And do you realize on any given Sunday, we have almost 500 kids that attend Grace Fellowship at all three campuses. What a privilege. These are little ones that are making decisions and are getting to hear the gospel. And as you help fund our local church and gospel ministries, there can be ones who say thank you. I was a life that, that's the point of the passage. Live now in light of what's next and be more about your future home and realizing that people created in the image of God that are gonna spend eternity somewhere could come rushing up to you and say thank you, thank you, thank you because of what you did with your money. And so if that's the point of the parable, what keeps us from living this way? What do we get hung up on? Well, I love it that I think this parable also actually shows us some of the biggest mistakes we make with our money. Here's the first, number one. If you think you own it, oh, you'll never invest it in the things that matter most. If you think you own it, you'll never invest it in the things that matter most. One thing is absolutely clear about this passage, you guys, is that we are managers or stewards of somebody else's money. You realize a steward or a manager, that's, that's the very definition. This guy in the parable, it's not his money. It's not his land. It's not his enterprise. It's not his business. He's been tasked with running someone else's business and making decisions with someone else's money. Seven times in this passage, Jesus uses the word manager or management to drive home to us. That's you. You are a manager 
of someone else's money. All of it. All of it. All of it. And what that means is when you are a manager or a steward, guess what comes with that? An opportunity, yes, accountability. Which means you will give an account to him for every dollar. Now if that, if that struck you odd for a minute because you grew up hearing about the tithe, I hope you did grow up hearing about the tithe. But guess what? Tithe means 10%. That you, could, you should give at least 10% of your income back to God. But the mistake people make, even if they get there, is like, oh, and now I get to do whatever I want with the 90. You guys, that's not what the Bible teaches. How much of it is God's? Say it louder. You give 10 at least so that you acknowledge to him, I know it all came from you. That's why I'm happy to give at least 10. As your income increases, my friend, some of you have been incredibly blessed. Everybody didn't get crushed by COVID. You realize that? There's some industries that exploded. As God blesses you, you should start going 20%, 30%, 40%. You're like, are you crazy? If that's what you're thinking, you're talking just like the Pharisees. They ridiculed, they sneered, they said, you're kidding us. No way, yes way, yes way. You should never think, oh, the 90 is just mine. I, I don't know what to do with all this. Boats, planes, better watches. No, not necessarily. I know. Like, God, what do you want me to do with this, this increased income? As we've stayed here, and now I'm here 28 years, I'm grateful. My income is far greater. I began to teach places, and they give me a love offering. I wrote a book, and that publisher sends me a check twice a year. I mean, don't quit your day job, but it's additional income. And so we've begun to say, what should we do with this, God? What should we do? What should we do? Where should we get involved? We've continued to increase how much we give away because he keeps increasing how much he brings our way. Oh, look at verse 12. He says, if you've not been faithful in that which is another's. He's telling you everything you have right now is another's. He gave it to you. It's another's. It's another's. It's another's. God, it's God's. He owns it. It's not what you did. So you need to realize this. Even if you built a business and it took off and you, I bet you worked your tail off. Even here at Grace Fellowship, right? Did, do you think I worked hard? Whew, my little pastor butt off. Yes. And did I pray? And did I have an idea? And did I see something different I thought we should do as a church? And I know this doesn't sound novel now, but I wanted groups instead of adult Sunday school. I wanted biblical counseling at the heart of it with everybody knowing how to do this, not one counselor. I wanted heartfelt, engaging worship. We killed it with the solos and the choir. I want you to be the choir. I want us to respond to God. I know it doesn't sound super novel now, but I have church planners reach out and say, talk to me about what you did. Oh, I'm so quick to say, it's not what I, I worked hard, I prayed. It's what God chose to do. Wherever you are and whoever you have, whoever you are and whatever you have, oh, please keep in mind, God gave it to you. It's not what you did, it's what God chose to give to you. There are other church planners working just as hard, praying just as hard, and it hadn't happened. It hadn't happened. I hope you realize there are other business people that had an idea, that worked hard, that leaned in, that were ahead of the game, that saw it before others saw it, and it didn't happen. If it happened for you, it happened because God 
gave it to you. And when that grips you, my friend, then you'll, you'll change your pronouns. You'll stop saying that's my checking account, my savings account, my investments, my business, my properties, my retirement fund, the home I bought, the cars I drive, and that spot on the org chart that I have, that I worked so hard to get to. I hope you worked hard, but oh, it changes. When you understand stewardship, you realize everything you have is a given, not a gotten. And if it's a given, not a gotten, it can be taken in a heartbeat. Have we seen any examples of that in our world? Did any of you see COVID coming? If you did, why didn't you tell us? Nobody saw it coming. That's one of the greatest examples we could ever remember. Oh my goodness, who saw the world shutting down? Who And businesses were crushed and things happened that nobody anticipated. It's a given, not a gotten, and can be taken in a heartbeat. Think about Job. Job not only is an example of someone who suffered, but I don't know whether you realize this or not, he was incredibly wealthy. It says right up front, he was the most wealthy man in the land. And you realize God's not against wealth. He did not punish him for being wealthy. Because it says right up front, he was a blameless man. And then at the end of the book, God gives him more than he even had at the beginning. God is not against wealth. He's against people who act like they did it and that it's all for them. And so notice what Job said when he lost it all, all the camels, the donkeys, everything, every aspect of his business. Woo, you remember what he said? Oh, Job 121. It's not in your outline. Write it down. It's bonus. Job 121. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. He didn't say, I was just smarter. I, I was ahead on a breeding system, and I saw land way out there that nobody wanted. I got it for pennies, and then I sold it for millions. Maybe he did. But he still recognized, ultimately, at the end of the day, who gave you the health to do it? Who gave you the brain that you have? Who gave you that opportunity? Why did it happen for you and it didn't happen for others? The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Oh, but listen to this. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, listen to me. If you don't thank him when you have it and you curse him when you lose it, you don't understand what's really going on. You should thank him every day, every day, every day for what you have because he gave it. We probably don't go a week that we don't look at each other and say, oh, I hope this doesn't shock you and say, oh, I'm so grateful for money, so grateful for money. I'm so grateful we're not wondering how to fix the car, if we can fix the car, if we can go to the, we lived with no health insurance. We, we lived wondering whether we could fix the car. We know that, but we haven't forgotten. And we're not like, yeah, and we're just that smart. We don't live that way anymore. Oh, constantly thanking him, thanking him, and thanking him. And here's how you show him thank you, by giving away enough that it truly pinches and impacts your lifestyle now. Now. I want, because I don't want all my stories to be back when we were in the trailer. You realize I have stories now? Even though we have incredible income, we still have incredible stories. How do you do that? by giving away incredible amounts of money so that he knows, wow, they are still trusting me. They're still trusting me. When God sees that you don't keep everything that lands in your hand, 
he brings you more. You realize everything that lands in your hand wasn't meant to stay for you? Some of you, that's a foreign concept. It's like, oh, it's for me. Oh, what should we do? I got a pay increase. Oh, I got a bonus. Oh. You should be having a conversation with God. What do you want me to do with this? What do you want me to do? Where do you want us to give? What do you want us to get involved with? Everything you have is a given, not a gotten. And every now and then, even unbelievers, secular people stumble into this truth and make a note of it. If you're still guilty of thinking, this business, this place I am in life is what I did, Malcolm Gladwell is a sociologist, and I really like his books. I've probably read six of his books. And he wrote a book called Outliers, The Story of Success. Now, so many books that are written today, The Millionaire Next Door, blah, 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 blah. They, they love to act like, just do this. I did it. You do it. It'll happen for you. I did it. You do it. Now, what happens is they make a lot of money off that book because there's not a formula. I did it. You do it. And it'll happen for you. Malcolm Gladwell notes, honestly, something that doesn't get talked about a lot. And he talks about people like Bill Gates, Billion, 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 billionaire of Microsoft fame. And then he shows how, guess what? Bill Gates was in the right place at the right time. Do you realize that? Are there other people in the world as smart as Bill Gates? That worked as hard as Bill Gates? That had an amazing idea and it didn't happen? Yeah. Why did it happen for Bill Gates? He shows that Bill Gates was going to a high school out west that actually had a computer system ahead of everybody else that no one else had in the nation. They were the first school to have it. And then, oh, by the way, Bill Gates secretly got a, a, got a key into this room with him and his two friends and spent untold thousands of hours all through the night, night after night after night, playing around, working with programming and figuring this out. And he shows right place Right time. That's true on every level, you guys. Whatever you have, whoever you are, wherever you are in life, I do hope you worked hard. I do hope you prayed. I do hope you were creative. But you better wake up every day and know it's a given, not a gotten. It's what God gave me. It's what God gave me. And if that's the case, then you want to have conversations with him about what he wants you to do with his stuff. Number two, oh, listen, if your heart is obsessed with what you possess, you will scoff at what Jesus is teaching here. You won't just ignore it or dismiss it. You'll hate it. You'll rail against it. You'll say, that's crazy. Nobody's going to tell me what to do with my stuff. No way. It's mine. How do I know this? Because of the response of the Pharisees right there. Notice Jesus doesn't just see what you're doing with your money. Jesus, letter A, sees your heart. He sees the heart. And I hope, you, I hope after six messages on the heart that we just came out of, you realize whatever's going on in your heart directs your life. What's going on in your heart directs your life, and it also, it also determines the grip on your stuff. Your heart determines the direction of your life and the grip on your stuff. Direction of your life and the grip on your stuff. And that's why he says, but God knows your heart. You're lovers of money. Lovers of money. And so that word ridiculed, some of your translations actually say scoffed because it is a strong word. It's the same word that gets used at the end of the gospel when Jesus is hanging on the cross and these same people that love money are at the foot of the cross and it says they hurled insults against him and they sneered and scoffed. It's the same word. As they hear him talk about money, 
that it's stewardship, not ownership, that you should send as much as possible on ahead and pay it forward into that future home and invest it in people created in the image of God who are gonna spend eternity somewhere? They sneered, they scoffed, they ridiculed him. And so here's the real deal. I hope you realize there's no middle ground. We love to act like there's middle ground on big issues. Jesus makes it clear there's no middle ground here. You either love money or you love God and others and you use it for his glory. His glory and the good of others. But you can't do both. You can't do both. Some of you think you can do both. You think you're doing both. But look at verse 13. No servant, he's talking about all of us, we're servants. No servant can serve two masters. And he's about to give us an either or axiom, truism. Either or, either or, no middle ground. Not both and, either or. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. When you love God and other people, and those are the two great commands, when you truly love God and other people, you'll start using money to bless people and to invest in kingdom enterprises outside of this world that's bigger than our own little kingdom of house, car, boat, plane, bigger TV, better vacation, second house, more stuff piled up around me. Jesus knows the heart. And then letter B, Jesus says, oh my goodness, be shrewd with your money. Be shrewd with your money. That's the key to the whole passage. And shrewd does not mean tricky, deceitful, stick at the man, underhanded. It means aware, insightful, resourceful, and able to make good judgments about what matters. In other words, it's discernment, money discernment. And so he's saying, oh my goodness, when you're shrewd, you see through the confusion to what matters most. You hear his voice in a noisy world. Do we have a noisy world that's screaming stuff in commercials and screaming stuff from blogs and screaming stuff online? You hear his voice in the midst of the noise and, get this, you cling to his word as your authority and truth for how to handle wealth. In the face of a culture of inform- Do we have information coming at us? Oh, my word. Of hashtag this and information. And get ready for this. Buckle up. If you actually begin to live the way I think Jesus is calling you to live, I've seen this happen so many times to good people in our church, and it happened to us. You sit down with a financial planner, and they will look at you and say, oh, my goodness, let me tell you the first thing you should do. Stop giving so much. You can't do that. You can't do that. You shouldn't do that. If you're living the way Jesus would call us to live, that's what you'll hear. And yet we know according to scripture. Now don't hear me saying make no plans for retirement. We are investing a certain amount so that we do not have a Winnebago on the driveway of one of our kids with a little sewage hose off to the side in the yard. But at the end of the day, how much is enough, right? You know, even when we met with them, they're like, you want to be able to have the same income you you do now? No, I don't need that. I don't need this kind of income. We can live on less, right? Figure out what you need and then make appropriate plans. And especially if I'm not trying to leave a legacy for my son to have millions, there will be no legacy. I want there to be people, in e- not legacy, eternity. 
I want there to be people in eternity that call me friend and welcome me in, and I get to be a part of something bigger that God was doing all over the world. But yes, we're setting aside some for retirement to make sure that we're okay and won't be dependent on one of the kids. But literally, Jesus would look at some of his followers and say, oh my goodness, you're living stupid with your money. Buying things, chasing stuff, replacing stuff, as if the temporal things in this world matter more than eternity and people. Number three, let me show you another big mistake. And you might be doing it right now in this message. All the while I've been speaking, you've been pushing back with this. If you think you need more before you can give, you really don't know your own heart. Oh, I don't give anything, but I don't have much. If I had more, I'd give more. Let me help you out here. Here's what happens. Everybody thinks the tax bracket ahead of them should give, but they can't. And here's what happens. When you get to that next one, do you all of a sudden think, I don't know what to do with all this. Nope. You still say it's not enough. Because usually you change the way you live to consume it, and you always think, who should give? I don't know, but it's not us. That I know. It's not us. We can't do it yet. I mean... When I was working at McDonald's with a paper hat and ink running into my eyebrows with a clip-on black tie on the grill, making, oh, get this, young people, with $25 an hour minimum wage. $1.65 an hour all week long. It was about $110 for a week. I tithed. I tithed. When we were living in that trailer and we were making 10 with no health care and not eating meat, I didn't say, oh, we're not going to give now. I wanted God to keep the car running. I wanted God to do some, I don't have time to show it, but I pulled out this little spiral notebook that I kept of how often God put clothes on the front porch, of how often someone gave us some money to help us, of how often, I have a record of God's faithfulness because we tithed a thousand of my 10,000 and we gave to the building fund that our church was doing right then. I didn't say, oh, we can't be one of the people that give. At every point, and I think it's why now he's doing what he's doing now for us. He just keeps, uh, out loud, I just keep opening envelopes and like, I can't believe this. The IRS is sending me money back. How often does that happen? <laughs> you paid too much. My doctor's office, I tear it open. I'm like, oh, over the last three years, you've paid too much. Here's $575. Who does that? I could go on and on and on. And it happens all the time right after we gave a significant amount. And God's like, I just want to keep showing you, Brad and Vicky, that you cannot outgive me. I will. When he sees that everything that comes your way doesn't stay with you, he's like, oh my goodness, you are one of my favorite people to send stuff to. But please, don't hear what I'm not saying. We go out to eat. And I don't sit there thinking, this is sinful. People are burning in hell while we eat. We, we shouldn't be. To, no, we go out to eat. Now I get a house at the beach for all my kids to come. We've made some changes, but we haven't just consumed it all. We still want to give at a level that it hurts and it changes what we could do that we can't do because we give like this. Because I love seeing what God does. I don't, I don't want all my stories to be way back in South Carolina in the tra- trailer. I want new stories. I want right now stories. And according to this passage, I want to get in on Tommy people and dance club, and you see students who went there for an engineering degree but heard about Christ, do you realize they are seeing more freshmen than ever before respond to their outreaches after volleyball, saying, yes, I'm interested in a Bible study. Yes, tell me about Jesus. Why? The world is blowing up. 
People are anxious. Young people aren't coming from Christian homes. We've got kids all the years that I've been here in the public high schools that come to faith in Christ. They don't have Christian parents. And then they come and they start sitting here. And guess what then next? They bring their parents. And then their parents get saved. And then they bring a mother and a grandmother. And she gets saved. God is doing a work through the ministries, gospel ministries, as we go. And you can be a part of that with UC students, dancers, people at jail saying, thank you. Friend, welcome in. I am a life that was saved because you gave. You gave. You gave. That's what Jesus is teaching. Number four, if you think this won't end. Oh, my friend, this is a vapor. If you think this won't end and your money won't fail, you've lost sight of your ultimate home. I want you to look at a serious and sobering verse that should change forevermore your view of how you handle money, what you do with it, and, oh my goodness, it should help you never, ever, ever put your trust in money or your security in money. I mean, we've met with planners to make sure we're okay, and they love, you know, wealth managers love to talk in terms of high risk and low risk. Guess what? There is actually no no risk fund. Hope you know that. And when your friend says, oh my goodness, do this, and you get a 64% return, it's almost a Ponzi scheme. Let me help you there. There's shows constantly about people like you who jump in that. Don't do that. Don't try to make money fast. And oh my goodness, there is no, no risk fund. I'm not saying don't invest. But just know the only sound, secure place to put your money is outside of this world. Pay it forward. Send it on ahead. It will be there when, and it won't be it. I don't care about the money. We won't need it then. That money will have been a part of gospel enterprise that caused people to be there who would not have been there. People who heard the gospel. People who were engaged with gospel ministries because it was funded by money that God's people gave. Look at verse nine. This is the serious, sobering verse I'm talking about. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. He's saying, use this commodity we have now, this unrighteous thing. Use it to make friends so that when it fails. Not if. Notice he doesn't say if. When. I want you to say those three words with me, when it fails. Ready? When it fails. Say it again. When it fails. Not if. So some of you, by God's grace, may never see it fail in this life. Most of you will see it fail at most points. Even people who finally have a business that made it, if you listen to their story, it failed several times before it made it. My grandfather, sixth grade education, Oh, it failed multiple times, and him and his sisters were laboring in this little factory to try to make Rome, and then he hit it. He hit it, and he died leaving his kids millions, but it failed multiple times. Most of you will experience when it fails, and if your identity was tied in it and all your security was in it, you'll be devastated. If not, you'll just say, that was something that I can use for God's glory. Let's start again. You'll either see it fail in this life or you will ultimately see it fail in the next. By that I mean you're not taking it with you, my friends. You're not taking it with you. 
None of it. Oh, stop dumping so much of your money into temporal things and start investing in the eternal that had to do with people coming to faith in Christ. That's what the parable is all about. And let me say, when we met with these financial planners and they've got all our data, one of their favorite things to say was, if you weren't using your money the way you should be using your money, when would you want to know? It's kind of a rhetorical question. They're hoping I'll say, now, now. And it's true. If this rattled you, if you have to be honest and say, I've never had a conversation with God about what I should do with his money. If you haven't been living the way you should be living with his wealth, when would you want to make changes? Today. 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 Oh, don't wait. Don't wait. Some of you are young. You're like, well, I don't have that much income. I'm a college student. I'm this. We're just married. We got our first baby. Whatever it is, wherever you are, today make changes that shows God, I get it. I'm a steward, and it's all from you, and I would love to see what you would do next as well as get in on what you're doing for eternity. Oh, God, thank you for your word. Not just about how to get saved and miss hell, but how to live radically different now. Now. So that what's coming next would be incredibly grateful people that will shout our name. And we don't even know them. And say, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I am a life that was saved. I was rescued. I was found with the gospel. Thank you. Oh, God, please help us to see what matters most. Shake us and shock us out of our conventional ways of thinking to see that this is a vapor and everything in this world is gonna crumble to dust except people created in the image of God that will spend eternity somewhere. God, may we be people that get in on what you are doing. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.